0: Luke mentioned earlier that we are having baptisms today, so the message will be a bit abbreviated, but that's not for you guys to beat the Church of Christ folks to the restaurants or the Catholic folks to the restaurants. It's so that we can all gather around the baptistry and celebrate these people who are following in the very footsteps of Christ as an outward expression of what Jesus did in their heart. So if you have your Bibles, open it with me to Joshua, and we'll be in Joshua chapter 9. I'm really excited about this chapter because God is so uh, real. He's so authentic with our heroes in Scripture. They are flawed. They are, uh, they are broken individuals who need His grace and mercy, no different than us. Sometimes people think, oh, well... I'm not going to consecrate my heart and my life to Christ because God couldn't use me because my life is so flawed. Well, my question to you is this, who else is God going to use? Everybody is flawed. Everybody's broken. There's a title of a book, Everybody's Normal, Until You Get to Know Them, and then you realize everybody's broken. Everybody needs the unconditional love, acceptance, and forgiveness of Jesus Christ to be established upon a rock. Everybody needs the grace of God in order to be an instrument of God. And our hero in the book of Joshua, Joshua, is no exception. Last week, we saw that Joshua, he has a a bit of a character flaw in his spiritual leadership, and that is that he tends to be impulsive. He tends to, 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 to leap before he looks. He tends to act decisively because he's a man of instincts. He's a man of decisiveness. He's a man of wisdom, of discernment. He's very experienced. And so he tends to act on those instincts rather than, first and foremost, seeking God's counsel. And we saw last week that resulted in them losing a battle in AI. Well, they came back, they consecrated themselves, they fasted, they prayed, they sought the Lord again, and God allowed them to recover, and He gave them a rematch against AI, and they totally wiped AI out. You know, back in the day, I was a pretty competitive football player. I was decent at track. I ran hurdles. I was neither competitive nor decent at basketball, in fact I was flat out bad at it. I never quite, you know, got the coordination down to dribble, I never quite got the strategy of the game down, I never really got a a nice shot down, I never really got the form down. But when we would play pickup basketball games in the neighborhood, I was still competitive. I wasn't great, in fact I was bad. But I was still competitive because I had this one thing going for me, I had the rebound. I would take shots, I would miss, but I was scrappy so I would beat everybody to the rebound. I would take another shot and miss, but I would still beat everybody to the next rebound, and finally I would make a shot. And I think that this might be characteristic of Joshua's leadership. He would take a shot, he would miss, but he rebounded well. And because he had a rebound kind of faith, God could use him. In chapter 8, they took a shot at Ai, and they had to rebound. But they went in again, this time consecrated and anointed, and God gave them that victory. And then here we go in chapter 9, you would think that Joshua would have learned from this mistake. He's still impulsive, but he still has a rebound faith. Let's begin reading in Joshua chapter 9, verse 1. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan and the hill country and in the lowland all along the coast of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this, heard of what? They heard that Ai defeated Israel. So they were emboldened. They thought these guys can get bloody noses. But they also heard that Israel in turn crushed Ai. Ai. So they said, we can take them, but let's align ourselves together. So all of these city-states in this geographical vicinity, led by their own kings, with their own militaries, with their own armies, who in normal conditions are fighting one another, now came together, uh, allied together with a common enemy, that's Israel, as they have crossed the Jordan and they are taking the territory that God promised them through Abraham and Moses, and they've allied together. This is a consequence of Ai. Ai. They realized that Israel can get a bloody nose, that they can be beat, so they were emboldened, they allied together, but we see that God takes even our consequences and turns them into blessings when we rebound in our faith and consecrate our heart to Him yet again. Verse 3, but when the inhabitants of Gideon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, now the Gideonites... They're sort of the theme of chapter 9 and chapter 10. And I like these guys. Um, They're almost comical. They're clever. They're wise. They're scrappy. They're shrewd. And they're comical. And I believe that even God has a heart for the Gibeonites. Well, the Gibeonites were about 25 miles away. I mean, that's what? Fort Worth to East Arlington or so. They're simply 25 miles away from Israel, who's been commissioned by God to take over and actually destroy all the inhabitants of this geographical vicinity because the Israelites are inheriting their promised land, and they realize we're just 25 miles away. That means we are on their strategic target list, and they know that God is with Israel, They know God parted the Red Seas, they know God parted the the Jordan River, they know that God miraculously caused the walls of Jericho to come crumbling down, and they're thinking A, how can we fight this million-man army? B, how can we fight this army who's so seasoned in battle? We read that even the Gibeonites are seasoned in battle, but not like Israel, and furthermore, God is with them. God is undeniably, unmistakably on Israel. And they know that they are marked off for destruction. God was clear. Wipe out the inhabitants. Leave no survivors and inherit the land. So verse 4, they on their part acted with cunning or shrewdness or cleverness. And they went and made ready provisions and took took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended with worn out patched sandals on their feet, worn out clothes, and all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we've come from a distant country. In actuality, they just came from 25 miles away. But they're saying, we came from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, or the Gibeonites, perhaps you live among us, and how can we make a covenant with you? And they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you, and where did you come from? And they said, from a very distant country your servants have come. Because of the name of the Lord your God, we've heard a report of Him, and all that He did in Egypt, and all that He did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion, the king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Beshon, who lived in Ashatoroth, You see how wise they are? They didn't say, we heard what you did in Ai. They didn't say, we heard how God dried up the Jordan River. They didn't say, we heard what you did in Jericho, because they were clever, they were shrewd. They knew that... If they really lived in a distant country, there would not have been time for word to travel to them for the distant country, to the distant country for them to return and say, we want to be part of you because this God is on you. So they cited instances on the other side of the Jordan. We heard what you did to those two kings. We heard what God did through you in Egypt. Verse 11, they're shrewd, they're cunning. So our elders and all the inhabitants of the country said to us, take provisions provisions in your hand for the journey and go out to meet them and say to them, we are are your servants, come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. They they held up this bread. It it was still warm when we took it from our houses. As our food for the journey on the day, we set out to come to you. But now behold, it's dry and crumbly. And these wineskins were new when we filled them. And behold, they have burst." And these garments and sandals, they were worn out from the long journey, and they gave them all of this scientific, empirical evidence, and so the leadership of Israel and Joshua took their provisions, and they analyzed it, and they said, yeah, you're right, you've come from a distant country. You must not be an inhabitant of this land that's marked out for destruction for us to inherit. And so so they said, okay, we'll make a treaty with you. We'll make a covenant with you. But look at verse 14. But they did not ask counsel from the Lord. Sound familiar? Sound like last week at AI? Moses was a timid leader. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he had to be emboldened. Solomon, I believe his weakness was foreign women, but through the power of the Holy Spirit... He was able to write the book of Ecclesiastes and say everything is vanity except for obedience to God because that's the only thing that will satisfy you in this world. David in the flesh struggled with pride, but God took that heart and created a man after God's own heart, and as a result, David wrote the most humble and awe-inspiring praises to the God of, of heaven. Peter denied three times that he even knew Jesus, and yet he became a mighty pillar in that first church. And when it was time for Peter to eventually be martyred, he said, just crucify me upside down because I'm not fit to be crucified like my Lord. So everybody throughout history that God has ever used has had a propensity to failure and mistakes. And the reason that God was able to use Joshua after he made the exact same mistake that he made in the previous chapters in AI is because Joshua had a rebound kind of faith. He took a shot in AI and he missed, but he repented and he got his heart right with the Lord and he rebounded. And in Joshua chapter 9, he sampled the evidence and he made a decision and he made the exact same mistake he made in the the previous chapter. He did not ask counsel from the Lord. And so our first principle to having rebound faith, first and foremost, Proverbs chapter 24 verse 16. A just man falls seven times and rises again. A just man falls seven times and rises again. The Bible doesn't say that a just man won't fall down. The Bible simply says a just man doesn't stay down. A just man rises again, and he does so seven times, seventy times seven times, because God's mercies and His grace are new every single morning. I see many followers of Jesus Christ, they make mistakes, they make failure, they crash, and they stay down. They don't have this rebound kind of faith, it's more like an egg. They they hit opposition and they crash, and in fact, the harder they hit the opposition, the greater the splat. But a rebound faith, the harder the opposition hits us, the greater our faith rebounds, and we become more perfected in Christ, because our eyes are on Christ and not ourselves. After we stumble, after we fall, you can be certain that you'll hear an enemy condemn you. Jesus and Satan have one and only one similarity, and this is it. They are both passionately attracted to weakness, but for two totally different reasons. Jesus is attracted to our weakness because he is close to the brokenhearted, and he wants to comfort us and heal us and restore us and establish us on solid ground. Satan is attracted to weakness because when he sees that we are down, he kicks us when we're down. And when we do stumble and when we are down, we don't stay down because we are focused on Christ. But Satan is attracted to our weakness and our vulnerability, so he'll begin whispering condemnation lies, and he'll say something like this, you are so unworthy, and you want to take the wind right out of Satan's cell, agree with him, you're right, I am unworthy. And that's the first half of the gospel. You got that exactly right. And that's why Jesus had to come from heaven to earth to pay for my sins on the cross. But he did pay for my sins on the cross. And he is worthy. I have failed, but he's victorious. I have fallen, but he is glorious. I have stumbled yet again, but he is gracious. And my eyes are not on me. My eyes are on my victorious gracious savior jesus christ who is abounding in love and mercy yes we fall down but we don't stay down and we don't stay down because our eyes are not on us our eyes are on jesus the victorious the gracious one and we have confidence in his righteousness upon us and his love and mercies that are new every single morning The second principle that we learned of this rebound faith that Joshua exemplified so well, the first was that a just man falls seven times and seven times rises again. The second is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. God's strength is made perfect on weakness. Isn't that encouraging? God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. Most every single sport dominates you you win you're victorious because of how many points you have basketball football baseball golf is different you do well in golf because you have less points Like in basketball, if you say, we did great, we got 110 points, that's awesome. In golf, if you say, I got 110, that's not so great. You don't brag about the high scores, you brag about the low scores. And in the same way, the kingdom of heaven, we don't brag about our righteousness, we don't brag about our success, we brag about our weaknesses and God's strength that's made perfect on our weakness. You see, if the University of Texas or TCU or Tech, if they want to stand out athlete, what do they do? They go to high schools and they look for the biggest, the fastest, the strongest players that they can find, not the water boy. But God, when God wants to use somebody greatly for His glory, He doesn't find the biggest, fastest, strongest person that He can find. He looks for the water boy. He looks for somebody who's humble, for somebody who's meek, for somebody who's open to His grace resting upon them, which is why Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, chapter 12, verse 9 and 10, he said, before I came to Christ, I boasted in how many points I had. I mean, I had a lot of points. I was a Jew of Jew, a Pharisee of Pharisees. I exceeded in zeal of all my companions from the tribe of Benjamin, a, a, a Pharisee of Pharisees. But after I came to Christ and I experienced His grace rest upon me, I counted all of that stuff as rubbish or dung. Compared to the exceeding greatness of knowing Christ and His grace resting on my weakness. Rebound faith clings to these two principles. One, a just man falls seven times and seven times rises again. Two, God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. Watch this. We go on in verse 18. And we see that somehow or another the leadership of Israel found out that... Uh, The Gibeonites pulled one over on them. Maybe they heard them celebrating. Uh, Maybe a spy recognized them. Maybe the Gibeonites, as being pretty cool people as it turns out that they are, uh, confided in them. We don't know how Joshua and the leadership found out, but they found out. So what what do they do? They made a mistake. These people were appointed to destruction. And yet, Joshua and the Israelites made an oath with them, and they swore by the name of God that they would not wipe them out, that they would have an alliance with them. So what do they do? They made a mistake. Do they correct their mistake by making another mistake and breaking the oath that they made toward God? So this word begins spreading through the whole community of the Israelites, and they begin murmuring against Joshua and the leadership. Look at this in verse 18. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel... And all the congregation murmured against the leaders, they're murmuring because they realize what they were commanded to do, and now they're not going to be able to walk in complete obedience in their estimation. They realize what has unfolded, and they're not going to be able to receive this plunder by taking out the Gibeonites. But watch this in verse 19. Watch how God's strength is made perfect on Joshua's and the Israelites' weakness and their integrity is raised to a whole new, to a whole new level, verse 19. But all the leaders said to all the congregation, "We've sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them." Incidentally, many many years later, King Saul did attack the Gibeonites. He passed off the scene, and Israel has this curse on their crops and their lands. It's just frustrating. And Saul's successor, King David, inquires of the Lord, and he says, because you're acting harshly against the Gibeonites, you're going against the word that Joshua had made with them. So two wrongs don't make a right. Just because we might have made a mistake and find ourselves in an environment that that mistake has invited us into, that doesn't then mean that we can act without integrity or without righteousness or faithfulness to the Lord in order to get out of that mistake. I see this quite a bit in counseling. Somebody made a mistake and they're pregnant. And I even see followers of Jesus Christ say, well I made a mistake so I just need to fix it. I, we had this baby clearly outside of the will of God, so we just need to take care of it. Absolutely not. Two wrongs do not make a right, and if we got into a mistake, we act righteously, and God will turn that mistake into a blessing. I counsel couples from time to time, and they share with me their circumstances of how they got married, and it was clearly uh, outside of God's will, and they use that as justification to say, therefore, we just need to get out of this mess and get divorced. That's a lack of character. Yes, that might have been a mistake on the front side of things, but once you are in that environment, two wrongs do not make a right. We have to act with integrity and walk in righteousness, and God will take those mistakes and he will turn them into the greatest blessings of our life. And so Joshua stood firm against the murmuring of all of the Israelites, and he said, we made an oath to the Lord, we're going to stand by it, and we're going to let them live. And the third principle of Joshua in this rebound faith that he exemplified so well is Romans eight twenty-eight, and I love this one. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good to those who are called according to His purpose, all things, even our mistakes, even the consequences of our mistakes. When we set our heart on loving the Lord, God takes those consequences and He turns them into our greatest blessings. When we set our heart on loving the Lord, He even takes those fiery dots, the darts that the enemy hurls at us, and by the time they reach reach us, they are blessings. I have seen this over and over. All things means all things, all things even means the consequences of our mistakes. God will translate them into our blessings. So Joshua said, Here's what we're gonna do with the Gibeonites. He said, We're gonna let them live. Because we made a word to the Lord, and we're not going to break that word because two wrongs don't make it right. So Joshua said, they're going to be cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said of them. And Joshua summoned them and said, why did you do this? And they said, because we were appointed to destruction. How can we fight against your God? How can you blame them? I like these guys. And then Joshua said in verse 23, you know what, some of you will never be anything other than cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. And they didn't complain or murmur, they were so humble, and they took that as a blessing. And they said, whatever you see fit, that's fine. And after the Israelites inherited the land, we see that for 400 and I believe 80 years or so, the Gibeonites served in the temple of God. And even 70 years after the captivity in Babylon and when they returned, there you see once again the Gibeonites. You never hear of any trouble with them, but they were happy to serve in the house of God. As David the king said in Psalms, I'd rather be a a door tender in the house of God than a king. That's far more honorable. And God took even the consequences and he turned them into blessings. Well... The consequences continue to unpack because of bringing in the the, the Gibeonites as their allies. We fast forward into chapter 10 and we see that these five kings heard that the Gibeonites allied with Israel. And these enemies came together once again as an alliance because they had a common enemy. And they said, we're going to take Israel And before we do that, we're going to wipe out Gibeon. We're going to come against them. And so, let's skip down to chapter 10, verse 4. These five kings say, come up to me and help me and let us strike Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and the people of Israel. Verse 5. Then the five kings... If the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Elglon gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against Gibeon, and the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal saying, do not relax your hand from your servants, come up to us quickly and save us and help us, for the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. Now, it's real easy for Joshua at this time to then go back on his oath, isn't it? We just finished a battle. Our men are wiped out. Look, we shouldn't even be allied with you to begin with. We should actually wipe you out. We're just going to let these five kings do for us what we should have done before you deceived us. But again, two wrongs don't make a right. They made a mistake. And there were consequences associated with this mistake, but that caused them to act in greater righteousness and with greater integrity. And so Joshua assembled his army, and he marched all night long, and by dawn they saw the five kings and their armies, and they absolutely wipe them out. And this was a consequence that turned into a blessing because instead of Joshua and the Israelites having to pick, up th- pick off these five city-states, one by one, they were able to wipe out all five of these city-states in one shot. The fourth principle of rebound faith is this. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, and we read, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward Him. That's Joshua. Joshua wasn't perfect, Joshua made mistakes. Joshua took shots and he missed, but his heart remained pure to the Lord. And he had a singular focus and a singular passion, and that was to keep his eyes on Jesus' grace. And his kindness and his love and God's victory and he continued to take another shot more consecrated than the previous time and so perhaps you've made some mistakes perhaps you've fallen perhaps you made some of the same mistakes let me just remind you Proverbs twenty four sixteen, a just man falls seven times and seven times rises again 2nd Corinthians 12 9 and 10 God's strength rest upon weakness not strength not credentials, not success stories. I can impress you all day long with success stories. And you can impress me all day long with your success stories. But we impact people with our struggles, where God's strength rests upon us. And thirdly, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good, even the consequences of our mistakes, if we just set our heart on loving the Lord. Because we have this conviction that God will strongly support us when we embrace his mercies that are new every morning and pick up our cross and follow Jesus again today. It's a new day. The old is gone. The new has come. It's a new day to pick up the cross. It's a new day to follow Christ. And when we embrace this new day, our heart is totally consecrated to him. And when our heart is totally consecrated and totally devoted to him, he strongly supports us. You can read about it in chapter ten. They were fighting all these five kings, and it was the day that Joshua prayed, and the sun stood still, and it was a day that would not end. It was the longest and most miserable day for these five kings and their army, and Joshua and his army wiped them out, but God then caused it to miraculously miraculously start raining hell stones on their enemies, and their enemies were killed by hellstones more than by the israelites sword god strongly supported them not because they were perfect as is obvious from joshua's leadership but because he had a heart to be totally consecrated and totally devoted to his god and that's why i'm so thrilled about our baptisms coming up because we are going to see people following the footsteps of jesus because they are totally consecrated and totally devoted to jesus It's an opportunity to walk in the exact footsteps of Christ, and when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove, and God the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Baptism is an outward expression of the inward conversion that took place where we trusted in Christ as our Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit expands in our heart, and the Father is so proud of you as you continue to follow in the footsteps of Christ. So in a moment, we're just going to praise God, and and the worship team can come on up, and we're just going to praise God, and if you would stand with me, please. We're just going to praise God and glorify Him for His mercies that are new every single morning, that He works even our consequences together as blessings, and that He will fully support those whose hearts are totally consecrated and devoted to Him. So let's praise him with all of our heart for these things. Let's praise him because God loves empowering a rebound faith. God wants to use you greatly for his glory. God wants to bless you. You are still on a crash course with plan A, not plan B or C or D, but plan A. Because the moment we trust in God's grace and mercies that are new every morning, we are right back on plan A, and the consequences turn into greater blessings so that we're actually grateful for them, the greatest blessings of our life. And the Gibby nights ended up being a blessing. Oh, I've seen people want to fix their mistake, but they had the baby that baby ended up being the greatest blessing of their life I've seen couples that wanted to bell because they entered into it and they decided it was a mistake but instead they consecrated their heart to Christ and God blessed their marriage and they experienced a marriage founded upon the rock of Christ two wrongs don't make it right, wherever you're at just consecrate your heart to the Lord seek Him with all your heart let Him bless you abundantly so we're Going to be finishing up a little earlier than normal, and if you're prepared for baptism, please slip out now, and you can get changed in the lobby up here for the ladies. There's a restroom downstairs, and uh, um, for the guys, it's downstairs. And then, like I said, we're not just going to we're not just going to try to beat the other churches to the restaurant. We're going to we're going to gather around the baptistry. It's just right outside, and we're going to celebrate everybody who trusted Christ and as their Lord and Savior, and who are following Christ totally consecrated to him boldly and may this inspire you to take the step of obedience that God is calling you to take what is God asking you to do what is God asking you to believe how is God asking you to trust let's follow Christ father we praise you glory to you Because you are a God who rejoices in rebound faith. When Satan shouts at us when we're down, you are so unworthy. We'll just say, you know what, good job, because you just preached the first half of the gospel, but let's finish the gospel. I am unworthy, but Christ is victorious. I have fallen, but Christ is glorious. I have failed, but Christ is full of love and mercy and gracious. And my eyes aren't on me. My eyes are on my victorious, righteous, glorious Jesus. When my eyes are on my Jesus. I am in my Jesus, which means I am also in Christ, victorious, righteous. Because of his graciousness. Guys, let's just praise our God for the rebound faith. And then shortly after we praise a bit, Cassidy's going to dismiss us, and let's just uh, get our kids quickly, because there's also going to be some kids from the children's ministry who are following Jesus in baptism. So let's round up the kids, and let's all gather around the baptistry and celebrate these folks who are walking in the very footsteps of Christ.